0: welcome to the food fans interview today's guest is christopher kong of better nature tempeh christopher and his co-founders are on a mission to get more people discovering the nutrition taste and planet friendly benefits of tempeh over the last few years better nature has created a range of products that have won listings with tesco's planet organic selfridges uh, with wholesalers at food service and lots more they've also found the right partners to help them scale up and have grown the team to i believe 11. Tempe Enthusiasts. I guess the first place to start is is what what drove you and, and your co-founders to start Better Nature? And then what were you doing before? And has running a food business been something you've always wanted to do?
1: Yeah, no, so I, I guess you know, the co-founders, we all came onto this path um, by a separate, by I guess different starting points, but it was all a shared passion about trying to help people live healthier lives. You know, that's the fundamental uh, vision and mission of the business. And that's why we were so passionate about tempeh being this amazing, naturally nutritious plant-based protein. Um, but for my, my story, it started at university. Um, and that's actually where I met Ellen, one of our co-founders and currently our CMO. So she, she heads up everything marketing, branding. I do more of the sales and business development side of things. And um, you know, at university, and she still is, and she was an incredibly passionate vegan and um, not only sort of put me on this plant-based on my own plant-based journey but literally put half our college (laughs) on (laughs) on the path as well Um, so she was very very effective and you know in in, while i was sort of on that plant-based journey thinking about what sort of plant-based proteins i should be consuming to replace the animal proteins that i was consuming i found it really difficult to find a a go-to source of plant-based protein one that I could eat day in, day out, one that I felt very comfortable eating, one that I felt like had enough versatility in it to be applied to all dishes that I was comfortable cooking. Um, I was an athlete at university. I don't look like it now, but I used to box at, at uni. And as a boxer, I had to be really mindful of what I was fueling myself. I had to be really mindful of um, you know, my weight, for example, and going into supermarket stores, all I could find was tofu and falafel at one end and corn, etc., at the other, you know, don't get me wrong, both, you know, great groups of products, uh, but both groups of products that I didn't feel I could eat every single day, right? With, you know, tofu and falafel, they just lacked that nutritional density that I was looking for and the versatility that I was looking for. And with corn, et cetera, though they tasted great, really easy to cook, weren't products I felt comfortable eating every single day, just given how complicated some of these products are uh, from an ingredients list perspective. Uh, So really struggled to find that go-to until I met uh, Driando, who is now one of our co-founders and is our chief tempeh officer. (laughs) And at that time he he was doing his PhD on tempeh fermentation and knew the food product inside and out. You know, He grew up in Indonesia, where tempeh comes from. His family is Indonesian. He is Indonesian himself, of course. Um, and he's actually a third-generation food scientist. And um, he, I guess, introduced me to tempeh. I went out to Indonesia, tried it for the first time, and fell in love with it. And when I came back to the UK and couldn't find it anywhere, that's when the idea for starting Better Nature Tempeh came from so did I ever think I was going to start you know start a food business like absolutely not (laughs) Um, it's the only thing I've ever done Uh, I started you know like with Ellen as well and Triando we all started it straight out of university um, with barely any other work experience you know I I sort of dabbled in management consulting I did an internship at McKinsey in the London office and Ellen was also working for about one and a half years in a branding PR and marketing agency but you know we did not necessarily cut our teeth you know in in the fmcg space we all really came came at it from um yeah very very green
0: yeah but the but your passion is kind of what's what's driving the business i guess
1: no, absolutely. I think it's it's the passion, it's the, the tenacity. I think, you know, being young um, helped, right? Being naive, <laughs> to be honest, helped a lot. Uh, you know, knowing what I know now, would I, you know, probably, would I start, um, you know, a 10 business? I'd probably think a lot harder about it, right? <laughs> Whereas when, when I was younger, you know, five years ago, it was like, you know, this, this just sounds like a super, super exciting journey. Let's just go for it. And, and it has been, it has been extremely rewarding. But it's also not been without its you know its difficulties so um yeah i think the naivety helps uh, the passion absolutely but also the the, you know the mindset that the the growth mindset you know the the mindset that we have that 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 every day when we sort of clock into work that we're just going to try and be a better version of ourselves day in day out and just learn just 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 trying to absorb everything um as much as we can and surround ourselves by people who know a lot more about you know the fmcg industry than then we do
0: fantastic because in, in indonesia tempeh is like a sort of staple food isn't it
1: yeah absolutely you know in, in indonesia you know for those that have been um you can't escape it you really can't it it, it constitutes i think about 72 percent of the average person's protein consumption. So it's more than you know, chicken eggs, it's more than milk, it's more than any other form of animal-based protein. Um, so it, it's truly extraordinary how a food product that's so popular and so commonplace in a country as big as Indonesia and you, with a population about it's like 230, 240 million people, hasn't found itself um, in, in, in really really any other part of the world.
0: So what's in the in your product range now? and how 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 did you decide the flavors, the formats? Yeah, uh,
1: I mean, MPD is absolutely integral to any food and beverage business. Yeah you know, I think if if done, if used well, it it's really the product sells itself. um if the products, is, and, but it needs to marry up with your marketing strategy, your brand strategy, your business strategy, your sales strategy, right? It influences things like different formats, um, different sizes, different, and so so it really is integral to the whole business. And I think our approach to MPD has always been, what is the business strategy? What is the brand strategy? And how then can that, marry up with the MPD strategy to sort of turbocharge our marketing, sales, and, and you know, efforts. Um, so, it, it, when, we, when we think about MPD, we sort of try and surround ourselves with as many different data sets as possible. We look at, you know, obviously market trends, you know, if you have access to Nielsen data, category data, we look at, you know, what our competitors are doing. We look at the market sizes, different formats. Um, we see, try to see what, what flavors are trending. Um, And we also do a lot of consumer surveys to see, you know, are these products things that our consumers actually want? Because just because of the big market size doesn't necessarily mean that consumers are going to go for your product if they're already perfectly happy with whatever exists in the market at that time. Um, So at the moment in our range, what we have is a plain tempeh block that really is that sort of bread and butter sort of akin to that plain tofu block, you know, that product where... You can just marinate it however way you wish. Slice it, mince it, grate it. Do whatever you wish with it. Um, we also have a range of flavored pieces. Um, so we've got barbecue, Mediterranean, and curry flavored pieces. We've got a smoky block, which we just launched, actually. Like I think yesterday or the day before. So it's not yet common knowledge, but we've now got a, a like effectively like a smoked uh, smoked block. And we're now in the pro- in, in in the um process of developing a range of three new products um, to try and broaden the appeal of Tempeh and try to get Tempeh into more versatile, more accessible formats um, in, in you know, product formats like burgers or veggie balls, et cetera, um, that consumers already very, uh, very sort of, yeah, not know exactly what to do with it um, you know, with, with the ambition, with the vision of trying to introduce Tempeh into everyday sort of meals. Because one of the main challenges that we had, and that's like a big business sort of marketing challenge, and that's why you know I think NPD is so important because it's done well can help solve these challenges. Is you know one of the big marketing challenges that we have is people just don't know what Tempeh is, right? People just really don't. And though the block you know is selling really well, it's targeting a very niche customer. Um, you know, thankfully, you know when we first launched into Tesco we were a bit hesitant. We were like, oh God, like, will, you know, will people up and down the country actually know Tempeh enough to pick us up at the shelf to, you know, really drive up that, that ROS. And the good news is that there are enough people that know what Tempeh is, especially those who, who really like tofu. Uh, what we found is that those who their customers who are really familiar with tofu tend to also be quite familiar with tempeh, they see it more as a as like an additional sort of a, a more nutritious, more versatile version of tofu. So that's relatively low hanging fruit. But how do we get customers that aren't familiar with tofu, for example, that aren't familiar with tempeh to add to you know to introduce Better Nature into into the repertoire, right, into into the into their daily meals? Well, I think MPD can be a really big solution to that um so if we're able to introduce tempeh as an ingredient into products like burgers or, or veggie balls or sausages etc um hopefully that's a way in which we can accelerate the adoption of tempeh and grow its awareness um, re- you know more effectively than than i guess just trying to create an entirely new subcategory
0: i mean tesco must have been quite confident that there was there was a market for it i mean did, i mean presumably actually I'm not going to sue anything. You, you, did you approach them or was it something they picked up in, 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 their sort of innovation categories or how, how did that relationship come about?
1: Yeah. So it's, um, I, you know, I think there, there, was a, there was this element of luck, but there's also an element of just constant, you know, constant badgering. Like, you know, we had been, the funny thing is that when we first launched a brand in, even before we launched a brand, um, we launched a brand in January, 2020, Uh, But for whatever reason, I somehow got put in touch with Derek Sarno, who was the head of plant-based innovation of Tesco at that time. And we were invited into, you know, Tesco headquarters around like October 2019. So about two or three months before we even launched the brand um, to present what we were working on. Um, At that time, we had been to a few, you know, consumer trade shows. And, you know, this was like literally maybe six months in. Um, to the business, and what we were trying to do at that time was try to prove whether or not there was enough appetite from you know from from just the general public for our type of products, and um, we were invited and and just somehow we were invited to present. You know, obviously nothing came of that <laughs> came of that initial meeting, um, but it was great that they, that they sort of they were thinking about tempeh um, at that time, and it took a really long time before. Yeah, I guess, you know, we had that initial meeting, nothing directly came of it, but we just kept on moving forward. So in January, 2020, we launched um, on e first and foremost. Uh, we had this amazing, you know, retail food service strategy just went kaput during the pandemic, of course. Uh, so we just focused entirely on, on D2C. For a chilled meat-free brand, it, it doesn't D2C is incredibly difficult. Right. You're, you're trusting customers to sort of um, buy, you know, basket sizes of 20, 30 pounds to make it profitable. Um, so it's very, very difficult. And so for us, you know, the, the end game was always to sort of get back into retail and food service. So as the pandemic sort of came and went, we started going back out into retail initially with wholesalers. Right. Um, speaking of the likes of Sumer, you know, CLF, Whole Good, etc., um, and we just sort of built that, that channel. Um, we secured listings things like so planned organic and whole foods, et cetera. And then slowly but surely started getting on the radar of, of the major retailers. Uh, I think what was really interesting was that when we first spoke with with Tesco, um, they had a really they had gone through this big cash crew I guess, st- strategic reset, right? Um, in that what they were starting to find was that consumers were less and less interested in products that directly replicated meat but were more and more interested in products that were healthy right and that was the main reason why consumers were starting to adopt were starting to adopt meat free diets it was primarily due to health considerations and i guess you know tesco was also had a really big strategy around all sort of product categories to try and help you know try and make their products and their offering more healthy um, not just in meat-free, but across all categories. So when we spoke, they had already gone through this big strategic exercise, and our products, the fact that they were all natural, etc., really resonated with them. They had done their own research and found that tempeh was trending. Tempeh was was uh, was going to have its day very very soon, and that certainly helped things. So it was, yeah, I think it was a combination of just, you know, constantly putting ourselves out there, you know, reaching out, keeping them posted on our progress after that first initial meeting, um, as as well as being at the right place at the right time.
0: And have you seen things, like, I mean, food service and wholesale obviously are less, um, less consumer facing, but have they helped to build the consumer audience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So one of our biggest, you know, one of our first big customers was actually mindful chef. So mindful chef, is one of those interesting you know, channels in that they sort of straddle that in between. Um, they straddle, you know, they are, we technically, you know, when we, when we I guess when we um, categorize them as a, as, a, as a business, we say that they're part of the food service channel, but in a way they're also kind of retail because you're getting your brand, your branded products into their boxes. Um, and that obviously has impact on, you know, brand awareness and, um, you know, if customers really like your products in one of their amazing recipes, then, and if they can find you at their local Tesco, et cetera, then that obviously feeds, feeds in and helps drive um, brand awareness and rate of sale in, in retail. So, but but apart from that, I think, you know, for us, you know, going back to the, the initial sort of challenge of the business, which is growing the awareness of Tempeh we find that food service is an excellent channel to try and build that awareness, right? If we have more cafes or restaurants or schools, universities, et cetera, you know, putting tempeh on their menus, then that's only going to help edu- educate consumers about what tempeh is and hopefully also help the business um, in both in you know, in terms of retail sales.
0: Yeah. And I guess build lifetime habits, hopefully in um, targeting universities and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, for us, it's, you know, the main sort of bit, bit of customer feedback that we get is that I don't know what to do with tempeh. I don't know what to do with this block. But if they go into a restaurant and they have this amazing tempeh curry or this amazing tempeh stir fry, or they go into a cafe and they have this amazing tempeh sandwich, right? Um, this, this you know, TLT, <laughs> so to speak, then hopefully that starts to educate consumers about what tempeh can be used for.
0: Brilliant. Um- what what's been the manufacturing journey? Did you start doing it yourself in in you know home home kitchen or a commercial facility, and then scale up and outsource? Or
1: yeah, so I mean, technically you can make tempeh in your own home, right? That's what a lot of Indonesians do, and in in Indonesia, it's actually the tempeh space is very much a cottage industry, right? So you have a lot of um, you know, like sort of I guess street hawkers that would make tempeh. In their in their own homes and take it out to the streets to sell um, at markets at local markets. The thing with for us though is that to do it at a scale that is commercial is quite difficult because you're talking about a fermented food product. You need to control for temperature. You need control for humidity. You need the right facilities to incubate soybeans. It's not it's not you know rocket science. Right. And it is, it is entirely possible to build your own facility to do it. But we, you know, as, as, as co-founders of the business, you know, myself, not really coming from a you know, real like food manufacturing, none of us had come from a food manufacturing background. We, we saw it as quite daunting, uh, quite a daunting undertaking to sort of, you know, <laughs> enter into that space. And I think from the outset, we made a strategic decision to not, have our own manufacturing facility because of that. And I think in retrospect that was actually quite a good decision. Um, I would I would caution I, you know, I think there are amazing businesses that exist today that have been able to do both food manufacturing and you know, I guess branding, marketing, sales, operations, etc really really well, right you, you look at cook, for example, they're fantastic example, little moons, right? These are entirely vertically integrated businesses that have their own manufacturing capacity. But at the end of the day, these are two, you know, if you were to look at food manufacturing and food sales and, you know, food branding, et cetera, these are two entirely different business models, right? Um, as a food manufacturer, you're all about trying to maximize utility, right, and utilization of your capacity, right? Your goal is to, you've got all these fixed costs, you've got all these. All this equipment, right? You may have some debt that you use to fund for the fund the equipment, right? Um, that you just need to that you need to cover, right? But as a food brand, apart from say, you know, you, you may have some fixed costs, right, like office space, etc. Um, but apart from that, and maybe your overheads, right, with your, with regards to employees, your headcount, right? you don't really have that much. You you have the flexibility, you know, you, you can. You know, experiment with different products. Um, you can sort of pivot your your brand positioning um, much, you know, quite quickly. So, on the outset, we didn't want to sort of burden ourselves with investing into all this equipment, setting up this manufacturing facility, and then use that to build the brand. We thought, let's start with the brand. Let's start with getting products on the shelf. Let's start by um, in a more with this more agile model and in the future if it makes sense to do so maybe we'll dip our toes in, into manufacturing but yeah the more and more <laughs> you know i think focus is absolutely key um, especially in the early days with limited resources and limited time focus is is absolutely essential and and the more and more you know we sort of go on our journey as you know, in terms of building the better nature tempeh brand more and more i feel that yeah like this is this is what this is the game that we're playing this is what we're good at and we should absolutely focus on that and let other people who are far far better who have the experience of manufacturing food products support us instead instead of us sort of trying to take their business
0: where are you selling now um and, and how have, i mean how have you found the process of pitching and, and communicating what tempeh is all about and and the, the possibilities for, for retailers
1: yeah, I mean, we're, we're sold um, in, in Tesco, that's our largest sales channel. Um, we're sold, we also do sort of one-off, one-week uh, promotional wig gigs as they're called. So when it's gone, it's gone. <laughs> so we've done that twice now, little. We've got another one coming uh, early next year. Uh, we'll be launching into Asda come, come January. And we also do a little bit in, in Germany. So we sell in, um, in Reva in, in, in the Northern part of Germany. We do a bit on Amazon, and we still have we still support um, the the independent wholesalers, the independent retailers, um, and and we sell in likes of Panorganic, Organic, as you mentioned earlier, Pan Organic, you know Whole Foods and Selfridges and the like. So we try to keep ourselves as diverse as possible. We also do a little bit in food service. It's not been our absolute focus. It's and I, as I mentioned earlier, you know focus is absolutely key, and I think we've seen what retail can you know re, what retail has been able to do for us. So it's just was piling in into retail but we also see food service as a really big opportunity to, to explore um in the future perhaps once we've really cracked uh, retail you know and i think the story with opening up retailers it's getting that first listing is i think getting that you know that tesco listing was probably the most difficult you know if i were to be completely honest and and the reason being is that <clears throat> when you go into a retailer and you're pitching your product, the decision the buyer needs to make is, is this product going to perform better than the worst performing product I have in my category? right? Is it gonna perform better or is it going to attract a new customer that would you know, drive overall category growth? Essentially, they just want to see, are you able to help their category grow? Are you able to either bring new customers in or get customers to purchase more frequently? right, those are really the, the two core cool ways you can help a category grow. Are you gonna be incremental to the category? And it's, you know, anyone can, can can put together like a really neat story for retailers to why um, they believe, right why, why the founder believes that their brand will be incremental to the buyer's category. But unless you have a lot of data, right, to suggest that you can, unless you have been proven in another sales channel, it's quite difficult to convince that 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 buyer on that first listing. Um, so we you know we use like yeah we, you know I think that's why e com has been has been really powerful for us because though it wasn't a really big revenue driver it was a really great way to get customer feedback. So we started amassing all these trust pilot reviews that we're able to take to the retail and show oh you know customers actually like our product we could take you know could use our Amazon reviews for example to show the same thing. Um, and I think, you know, that's same same goes for building that independent wholesale channel. Like no one's going to make, I, 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 it's incredibly difficult to make money, to make money in that channel, to be and, unless your product is absolutely perfect for that, uh, unless you want to focus entirely on farm shops and delis, et cetera, it is quite difficult to make money from that channel. And for us, the focus has always been on that more mass market sort of retailer. But if you're able to show repurchase rates, um, if you're able to show your growth in stockists, then that's a way in de-risking that initial, that that sort of um, de-risking the opportunity for that first buyer to take the risk to to, to put you on the shelf. But once you're on the shelf of that first retailer, the second, third, fourth retailer, all they're going to be thinking about is that how are you performing in that first in that first major retail opportunity. Um, And that's, you know, for us, it's been, historically, it's been quite difficult to actually get data from independent wholesalers, right? And rate of sale, for example, is very difficult to see exactly how many stockers were in, exactly which stockers have have listed us. But with Tesco, for example, and all the other major retailers, you know, it is in their best interest that they share this data with you so you can monitor your own performance, so you can react To um, you know, if you're if you're trending down, so that you can react and you know improve things, so we've got we've now got this amazing pool of data that we can then show to other retailers.
0: Is the where an an interesting thing that comes out of that data?
1: That where country? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So we we get store by store data, so we know exactly how each store is performing, how much stock each store has obviously where these stores are located so if you start a mapping all this data you can start you know i guess thinking about you can start seeing which regions are outperforming others Uh, and for us we thought you know london was you know going to be the biggest region and is one of our top regions but to to our surprise what we found is that it's not so much where it's not so much where um, i guess these stores are based it's 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 more what demographics these stores are targeting so where we find that the stores that are located in more metropolitan areas tend to be our best performers and and that sort of seems to cut across all regions um but of course there are certain regions that do outperform outperform others um But yeah, like, but the, you know, on the caveat to that data is the only thing you don't get for free (laughs) from from these major retailers, Tesco, et cetera, is consumer data. So though we know exactly which stores, you know, exactly how each store is performing, that we know exactly how, exactly how each product in each store is performing, we don't know who's buying our products
0: so they want to sell you the club card based database do not they
1: exactly exactly so you know all these retailers have their own thing right let's Tesco tesco's club card sainsbury's is nectar you know like it's all called different things but it's all effectively the same i mean that data is incredibly valuable um, but there are other ways in which you can but it's also very expensive <laughs> right um, but there are there are other ways in which you can infer Uh, who's buying your product. And and one of the things we've sort of been able to do that is is by doing shopper research, which is literally going into a store that you know you're performing well and just hanging out there for a few hours and seeing who picks up your product (laughs) and literally interviewing that customer. Um, Because that's another way. And and you can see what else they've got in their basket, what they use the product for, um, what other brands they purchase from. And this can influence all sorts of different marketing and sales activations.
0: Do you guys do that yourself or do you use a partner? So yeah, like we
1: we did that. Um sometimes we do it ourselves, sometimes we work with um consultants. You know, we worked with
0: uh Tessa Stewart. I wondered if it was Tessa.
1: So shout out to Tessa Stewart. Yeah, no, and she's she's incredible. And, and the data we got from that uh, has been has been really, really helpful. And she's also written books um all about the sort of the sort of thing which you know we we've read um as well and has been incredibly powerful for us.
0: Tessa's been been on our webinar, she's very good value, isn't she?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. At the end of the day, it all comes down to that, to that customer. I've seen incredible businesses built on, you know, starting, you know, if we look at Pip and Nuts journey, for example, right? They started just by selling their peanut butter at, at at food markets and the like, right? And But in doing so, they were able to get that, you know she was able to see exactly how customers were reacting to her products reacting to the different npd that she was developing reacting to the packaging price points etc and i think that's really really powerful and i think um yeah that's something that no business should ever lose on their journey like you can never be too big to ignore your customer right so we <laughs> constantly and and but the, i guess is I guess you know it's about trying to find the most effective means of getting to know your customer right so you don't need to invest thousands and thousands of pounds in the club card data to know roughly who your customer is um you could literally just go into your local supermarket you know if you're selling in a, in a stockist like planner organic or whole foods you could literally just hang out there
0: yeah and and, and see
1: right oh, and, and and um i think yeah street stores food markets are also another amazing channel to get that real-time customer feedback
0: how, um, actually, I noticed there's, there's recipes for Tempo on the website. I guess that's part of the whole trying to illustrate to people how it can be used and what you can do with it. Is that is that a particularly effective thing for you?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, you know, we have a QR code, for example, on our packaging that directs people to our recipes page. We've got, um, you know, I think it, it is a really, really potent tool and, and frankly, very low cost, right, uh, tool of educating not just the end customer, but potential retailers as well as to what your product can be used for, uh, food service, you know, we're speaking with chefs, you can just say like, here we go, we've got a bank of however many 60 plus, 70 plus recipes on our website, please take a look. It's also something that you don't need to do entirely by yourself. So what we've done in the past, for example, is work with social media influencers, you know, chefs or fitness influencers, and work together with them whereby they produce the recipe and we just And they produce an amazing video about that. And we just sort of put that recipe on our website.
0: Do you mind if I ask how you funded the business so far?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, for us, we, you know, we're all relatively young. We haven't, you know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we didn't have any long time business experience. You know, we didn't really have the opportunity to self-fund the business, um, which I think, you know, is, is a bit of a shame. I think there's a lot one can learn by self-funding the business, um, and there are, are amazing case studies of how people have, um, and so for us, what we, we we've sort of had to go out and raise funding from from investors, right? Whether that's you know angel investors, VCs, etc. So those are that, that that's how we've we funded the business to date. You know, we are still loss making, though we are tracking towards profitability, which is always, which is always great. (laughs) Um, But for us, it's always been trying to invest ahead of the curve, especially when trying to create what is effectively an entirely new subcategory within, within meat free, trying to take this entirely new food product to market, it does require that upfront um, investment. So we've tapped resources like angels. So other, you know, other, you know, food entrepreneurs that have been there and done that, um, you know, our, our first our first round was majority friends and family. So we sort of leaned on, <laughs> leaned on their generosity. Right. And their belief in us as well um, and, and crowdfunding as well. So we've, we've raised by Cedars about twice uh, now. So that's been that's been quite effective for us and and, you know, venture capital.
0: So, what was involved in in doing a curtain with from the seeders? Is it is it a particularly onerous process, or?
1: Yeah, I, I would, I would say it's probably as hard <laughs> as trying to raise, especially nowadays, right? Um, you know where 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 people's you know wallets are perhaps tighter than they used to be about two three years ago. It is probably, you know, I would say, it is as hard as it is to raise money from you know seasoned. You know, investors. So I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, I would, ne- I would not consider you know, crowdfunding as that silver bullet, that silver bullet solution. Um, it is, you know, for us, our experience has been, especially with this most recent crowdfunding round, is it is as difficult. And you do need to canvass yourself. You do need to speak to lots and lots of people. You need to put yourself out there. So does that, that does take a lot of time away from business, and it takes you know, it takes your focus away from the from the day to day. Um, but yeah, it also requires some investment as well to get that money, you know, in terms of marketing, etc. What's
0: what's next? What's the what's the? I, I I suspect you're a man with a five-year plan. What's the what's the what's the goal for Better Nature?
1: Yeah, so you know what we want to do is to take tempe into the mainstream, right? Um, you know we are tracking towards that 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 sort of a goal, right? With listings with Tesco, for example, and launching to ASDA come January. But there are many other retailers to go for. Go, go for. There are other channels to go for as well. Um, you know, I mentioned food service earlier is a really big opportunity. I think that we can explore in greater detail in the in the future. Um, you know, for us, we want to really be effectively the go-to tempeh brand, the go-to all-natural, healthy, meat-free brand um, in in the UK and abroad. You know, I mentioned we also have a little bit of an operation in Germany Um, but you know for now it's all about focusing on the UK but that doesn't mean that we can't then in the future look elsewhere as well.
0: Are there any brands or or businesses that you aspire to be like I mean you are kind of creating a new as you say a new subcategory but is there is there a model or something that you're kind of working towards or people that inspire you?
1: Oh absolutely yeah I mean I think at every sort of stage of the journey right we've had different businesses inspire us um know, when we first started there was businesses like Beyond Meat and the Possible Foods you know that, that that inspired us but I think now it's it's more like you know as we sort of get deep in the weeds and we start to understand like I guess the whole machinery of of how things work um it's brands like Little Moon's I think that we, we um, that, that we look at, you know, they, they've effectively taken mochi, which is this dessert that is widely consumed or this snack that is widely consumed in Far East Asia into the mainstream in the UK and, and have really owned that category in the same way that we'd like to one day own tempeh. Um, another brand that we look at, you know, really fondly, though albeit they are also a slight competitor to us is a tofu company because they've, You know, if you you go into any major retailer, they are there and they've got amazing distribution when it comes to tofu. And they've also really taken tofu into the mainstream. They are the UK's go to tofu brand. But in the same way, they've had to overcome the same challenges that that we're facing or they are still overcoming the challenges that we're facing, which is, you know, how do you educate consumers about how to use tofu? How do you get, you know, how do you really um, I think tofu currently has like a 14% household penetration. So that's relatively low, right? Only 14% of consumers are, you know, purchasing are purchasing tofu these days. So it's really interesting to see, you know, how they've been able, despite only having 14% household penetration, grown themselves to 20 million plus um, business. So how have they been able to keep those customers from, you know, from how, do, how have they been able to keep those customers? Uh, to keep coming back
0: absolutely i guess going deep into those customers yeah
1: yeah exactly so so i think in in the early days it was a sort of looking more i guess looking looking at these at these visionary businesses right but now that we're sort of in the weeds of it it's trying to see how other businesses have actually done certain things exceptionally well
0: well thank you so much for your time if you want to find out more about uh, better nature and you can buy on can you buy online
1: yeah, so you can yeah. find us on Amazon. Uh, you can pop into your local Tesco, tesco.com, of course, as well.
0: Yeah, really. And there's a list of stockists at Um, If you want to listen to other food founders' interviews, you can find them at frockhop.co.uk forward slash podcast. And the next session is with the founder of the Free From Food Awards. Th- thanks again, Christopher. Thanks so much for uh, telling us all about the, the, the journey you're on, as they say. And uh, I look forward to to see how it pans out over the next few years
1: no worries no thank you so much for having me uh on on the podcast and thank you everyone for tuning in really appreciate it have a good day all right you too Bye. Cheers, bye